So it is the new year, and like last week when we talked about meeting on as a church on Christmas, um, what better time to meet as a church than to looking towards the new year? Um, and so a lot of people during the new year have things of resolution, right? They want to do different types of resolution. Anyone make any resolutions this year? No, not yet. Uh, yeah, <laughs> see, that's I can't do resolutions. I just fell at them. Um, and so I, but I was do, looking up some people's resolution. I found one person that had 72 resolutions. And I'm thinking, man, you are going to fail. Um, but there, there are things like, you know, I want, I, I don't want to eat as much. I want to work out. You know, um, on their thing, they said, I want to, I want to take naps. Um, you know, I want to balance my life a little bit better, you know, and all these different things. And, and after a while, they seem to, like, start being repetitive, just said in different ways. So I think they just, they need a resolution of just being concise. Um, but I, I don't do resolutions because, like I said, I fail at them. Um, and so what I started doing a few years ago was just making one thing. God, if I can just do one thing this year, then I'll, I'll I feel like I'm doing better than I did last year. And so last year, my resolution was I want to spend more time with my kids. And it was, so when they would ask me to play a game, I would say yes. So that was my resolution. I would say yes more to my kids wanting to play. And so I, I've done better. I haven't done great, um, but I've done better. This year, um, my resolution is to spend time with my other family on the gun range. Um, so my... So uh, my little Glock and my, my larger Mosin Nagant. And so, you know, those kids I want to spend more time with this year. Um, and so uh, if you don't get that, then you're not a gun person. It doesn't matter. Um, so, but there's one thing that God has been um, really working on me for probably, I would say, four years. There's been one verse that he's been bringing up time and time again. Um, the, there's a verse in my life that, you know, some people call it life, a life verse. That life verse for me is Matthew 7, um, and it's uh, 1 through 5, so it's a small little passage. But there's this verse that God's been bringing up time and time again in my life for the last several years, and it's from Isaiah 49, too. Now, on Friday, when was it? Yes, last night, um, I went through this little passage with the teens. And the first four verses really focus on Israel and their purpose. But it's the verse 2 that God has been working on me. It's, it's the second part of that verse. And so I want to share it with you. And so the second part of that verse is this. Are the verses, He made my mouth like a sharp, sharpened sword. In the shadow of His hand He hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in His quiver. And it's that second part that God's been laying on me. It's, um, he has made me a polished arrow in his quiver, that part, concealed in his quiver. And so the reason why is because God continues this idea of Jeremiah, you need to be polished or sharpened. Okay, that's what it means to be sharpened by me and be ready when I call on you like an arrow in the quiver. And so... This idea of the archer is the one who polishes, who sharpens the arrow. The archer decides when the arrow is to be used. 
this is what God has been working on me for several years. And so when I was praying about, in the summertime, when I was praying about what we are going to talk about in the wintertime, this verse kept being brought to me. We need to talk. It's a new year. Let's talk about this. And so I want to share with you about what, how do we do that? How do we as believers are ready as arrows in the quiver of God? Okay, so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at four different people. And some of them are, well, are known, and some of them are not. Some of them are good, and some of them do bad. But we want to look at them to say, okay, how do these people, how are they sharpened, or how are they not sharpened and ready in God's quiver for when He pulls them out? Alright, so the first guy we're going to look at comes from Genesis chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 24. And as we open up there, there's this thing that we need to understand. So in order to just jump into the scriptures, we need to know about where we're at. So if you're reading through your if your resolution this year is to read through the Bible in a year. I know a lot of people do that. Um, just to give you a, a synopsis, the first eleven chapters of Genesis are basically God dealing with all of humanity. We see that at the garden, we see it um, in the in the flood account, we see it in the Babel. It's this really universal skill of how God works with humanity. But then in chapter 12, it turns and we specifically look at one family, and that family we look at through the rest of the Bible. And it's Abraham's family. And so this comes in Abraham's life at the end of it. And so 12 chapters earlier is when we start with Abraham, and we're going to this point, and we're at the end of Abraham's life. And we, if you read through it, you see the ups and downs. Abraham, the one thing I love about the scriptures is they are very, God is very plain, and he says, here's the good and the bad, which should make us feel better about ourselves. You know, Abraham messed up. Okay, if he messes up, hey, you know, it's, I, I mess up, so I have a connection with Abraham. But we're at the end, and Abraham has a request, and that request and the implication of that is what we're going to read. So we're going to read all 28 verses. The reason why I like to do this is because you need to hear the Word of God straightforward, okay, before any commentary. So I would encourage you, anytime you study the Scriptures, read the whole passage before you start, what does someone else think? So you always go to the scriptures, always read it, and go, God, what do you say? Before you go to anyone else. So that's what I like to do when I speak, is give you the scriptures in their entirety, so we're not cutting them up. Alright? So, here we go. And, oh, just a caveat. You're going to hear some different names. Some Hebrew names, alright? Now, you might have heard these said, and they were probably said wrong. So this morning, you're going to hear how they say right. Okay. There we go. <sighs> this is done half asleep, by the way. Just so. so here we go. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and on... And the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for this for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. 
among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying, To your offspring I will give you this land. He will send his angels before you, so that you will get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from his oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram, uh, here we go, Naharim, and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time that the women went out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when, a, when I say to a girl, please let down your jar, that I may have a drink, that she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethel and son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethel, the son of Milcah, bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The girl ran and told her mother, her mother's household, about these things. All right. So you have this whole situation. And what's funny about this is you don't really know a lot about the, the servant in this passage, right? You know that he shows up, he does his duty, and that's about it. But what's interesting about this, I don't know what it is in your Bible, but in mine, you know what the, the heading is? What it's called? Mine's called Isaac and Rebecca. But half the chapter has really nothing to do with Isaac. 
Yeah, he shows up later, but almost at the very end. And so I always found it interesting that when we when we go through the scriptures, there's these moments where there's people in there that you really don't know much about. They kind of just show up and they go away. They're not even referenced later on in scripture. Yet they have purpose. And so I want to look at this servant to see who this guy is. And we actually find out who who is who he is in a few chapters earlier. So in um, nine chapters earlier, we find out his name. His name is Eliezer. Okay, so there's this guy. His name's Eliezer, and we find out his name only because Abraham is in a situation where he has no kid, yet God has promised him a kid, and he says to the guy, he's talking to the guy, he says, "Is Eliezer supposed to be my inheritor? Like, is that the guy? Because if you didn't at this time, if you didn't have a." Um, uh, a firstborn son, you would give your stuff to whoever you want. Usually, someone that you thought would really utilize it well. And we could tell that this guy, um, Eliezer, is that type of guy. Abraham trusted him to a point where he sends him for a wife. And that's really important because, I mean, if you think about it, if you think about this, if if it was me. And I'm just Jeremiah before Jesus, okay? If I were to take and go back, and I'm looking for a wife for my master's son, who I know without a wife, this specific wife that my master wants, he won't have kids. And once my master dies, maybe this new master walks off a cliff and then who gets the money do you ever think about I mean that might be me but these are the things I think about like if I was put into that situation Isaac wouldn't inherit anything and you gotta think how rich Abraham was Abraham was wealthy just for a dowry he's giving to his ten camels and all this stuff so there's a lot of money I know we don't work in camels but, you know, it's, it's a lot, right? And so, Abraham has this ton of wealth, and yet, the servant is very much trusted, and we see that he does what he was asked to do. Talk about a man of integrity. And so, this is a part of the attributes, I think, that we can see within this servant. And so, this first attribute is that this servant loved his master more than any of the wealth. He cared more about what his master wanted than about getting what he might want. And we don't even get that inclination from this guy. There's not even an inclination that he is about money. It's all about, every time he's mentioned from Abraham, it's all about, he's just my servant. Chief servant. These, these words are just how important he is and in the the context of the covenant that is made all right so in this um he asked him to take an oath and he asked him to take uh to put his hand on the other side this is a very intimate um not in the sense of sexual like that word gets used wrongly but just an intimate a closeness 
of a covenant. This isn't just a property rights thing. This isn't um, a legal transaction. This is, I want to trust you. And I trust you. And so I want this very personal agreement here. And what what does the servant get out of it? Nothing. Yeah, just to be able to go and do what his master wants. That's it. And so I think that's a huge thing that as we're talking about what it means to be a polished arrow, a, a sharpened arrow, is just this understanding that the servant cared nothing for the stuff that he could get. He cared only for his master. You know, I've, I've talked to people, and I don't think they intended to sound like this, but things like, what's heaven going to be like? What kind of, you know, it says that God, uh, that Jesus goes away and prepares a place for us. And we talk about mansions and, and uh, crowns. And what, what are these treasures that Jesus talks about? And really that, that comes from a place of what else can I get from God? And the reality is, do we follow Jesus just because he is our master? Because he is deserving of it. Like that, that should be what, so anything else, if Jesus decides to give us anything, that, that's, that's gravy, right? It's icing on the cake. But I just, we should just say, I just want Jesus. That's it. And so that's something that this servant did really well. He just wanted to please his master. And that goes into the second attribute, where if, if you drop down to verse 5, the servant asks a question here. I think this is really important. Because there's two times the servant inquires. The first time is to Abraham. And he says, in verse 5, the servant asks, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take her son, take your son back to the country you came from? Now, I think that's a really important question. So, because... One, it could be taken two different ways. It could be taken if the servant is untrustworthy. He's finding a loophole. But we know that's not it. So what is he asking? So he asks this question, and he's, he's trying to understand the will of his master. Because, I mean, think about this. The guy goes, Abraham says to the servant, I want you to go back to my relatives. I want you to find a, a woman from there. Okay, the servant is thinking, but what if she doesn't want to make this journey? What if she doesn't want to come out here? You know, so when, um, when me and Marika, we got married, um, she is from uh, San Jose. There's like a million people there. I don't know if you've ever been there. You don't want to. That's the way I was like. Alright, but it's like a million people in the Bay Area. There's a lot of people there. Um, that's a nice area. Don't get me wrong. I joke, but I, I'm serious. Um, she moved from that huge city to Redding, California. I don't know if you've ever been to Redding, California. It is not San Jose. All right? It's, I think it was like 40,000 people at the time we lived there. She thought she was going to a small town. Then she met me. And she saw where I grew up. And she's like, there's not even a stoplight in this town. And then we moved to Roseville, a little bit better. Okay, Roseville, about 80,000 people, roughly. And then she 
came to courtside. I'll tell you what, she did not want to make that trip. Okay? But she's growing in here. We, you know, this is where we've had our family and everything, so this is home. And now she can't stand to go to the city. She won't drive in it. But, so, I mean, what if this, this wife doesn't want to make the trip into, you know, Timbuktu? Right? Into a place that she doesn't know. There's no gas stations. There's none of that. What if she doesn't want to go? Yeah. So he's inquiring, should I just take him, right? In order to make this work, should I take your son back to there? Because that would make sense, right? And so he's inquiring, is this what would be what you want? And then Abraham responds, no. If that were to happen, your, your oath is fulfilled. So I think that's really important to know this, that the servant is inquiring. And then later on, when he finally gets to this point, right, he gets back to the family area, he goes to God. And he says, Lord, if this person comes up, right, a woman that comes and will give me a drink and also give my camels a drink, then I'll know. So he inquires twice, once of the earthly master and then once of the heavenly and you know what's interesting about this? That idea of inquiring, that language of inquiring, really starts to be used in full force in chapter 25. And then it starts being used a lot. David uses it. Um, Jeremiah uses it. Daniel uses it. Moses uses it. About this inquiring of the Lord. Like, really emphasizing we need to inquire of God. But it's interesting that here's this servant, no, you know, really not puffed up is inquiring of God. He he probably has watched Abraham do it. He's like, I I need to go to the source of my master's faith. And so he starts inquiring. But it's interesting, you know the first person that says, I want to inquire of the Lord, you know who that is? That uses that terminology? Rebecca. The the woman that's in this chapter. And then everyone else starts picking up on that and starts using that language. Let's inquire the Lord. And so I just find that interesting that she does that. But I think this is the second attribute that we need to know. And I, I, I'm skipping verses too, huh? I'm sorry. I did this earlier. So the first verse is Revelation. You know what's interesting about that verse? Revelation 4.10. The, the elders... You know what they do? They bow, They get off the throne. They have these 24 thrones. They get off the thrones. They bow. They fall down before him who sits on the throne. They worship him. And then they lay down their crowns. That shows that, that God is more important than their thrones or their crowns. In Matthew 7... This follows my favorite verse, but Matthew 7, you know what Jesus says about inquiry? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open. So Jesus is saying, hey, you know what's a good idea for you? Inquire. Just like this servant did. And so, should we care more for a master than the things he can give us? Yep. Should we inquire of our master so that we know his purposes and will? Yep. 
Okay, let's go to the last one. And, and then this is what I love. So then he goes and he asks this lady, uh, this young woman, can I have a drink? And she says, yes. And let me water your camels. Now you got to see how big this is. It's not like she turns on a spigot and fills up a trough. She takes her jar, empties it in, and then walks back and it says gets enough to make all the camels uh, water. Okay. That is a lot of water. I don't know. If, okay, so what's really cool in our town, we're, we're known for camels, rocks and camels. And there's a camel guy that is, you can ride a real camel down on Main Street, right? Over, um, over by where, um, yeah, the Rio's Oasis. Okay, so you can go and ride one of these things. Those things can carry a lot of water. They're meant to carry water, right? They're meant to, like, go in the desert. And so that's a lot of water that she's bringing up. You know, there's this passage in Matthew, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he says, if anyone should ask you for your, for your shirt, give them your cloak. If they ask you to walk them out, you do too. That's Rebecca. Can I have a drink? Yeah. And let me deal, um, get your water for the camera. Like she, that's something great about this girl. We could do a whole thing just on Rebecca. She is an amazing. Kind of, again, got her own problems. <laughs> but she is an amazing woman. But this is something great. What the servant does next, at the end of this, after he finds out who she is, and she's done all this stuff, he goes back to God and says, God, you accomplished this. You brought me on this journey. You brought me to her. And so he recognizes where the good things come from. That's huge. Because I don't know about you, but I've done this in my life. I've heard people doing this. Where if something bad happens, God, why'd you allow this? But then when something good happens, man, Jeremiah, you're really good at that. It's like we give God the bad things. We say, you're the one that did this, but I am the one that did the good part. You know, and, but here's this servant saying, no, God did this whole thing. And so that's a huge thing that we need to, to recognize too, that no matter what's going on, we need to say, God, you're in control. I thank God. I thank you that you're in control. You know, and so am I going through something hard? God, I know you can get me through. God, I'm going through something good. I'm glad that you're doing work. But it's always going back to God and saying, God, you're good in this. Just like that song we sung at the beginning. God is good, not just sometimes, but all the time. Okay? And so, and this is the scripture verse um, that we put up for um, New Year's. This comes from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So, you know, this is a, a common verse. And it starts out with this. Trust in the Lord, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Do we see that in the servant? Yeah. He trusts and he goes. And then it says, in all your ways, submit to him 
and he will make your path straight. Now, you might have heard it say it in all your ways. Acknowledge him. Okay? Submit means to say, your will, not mine. And acknowledge says, you did it, not me. So in both circumstances, it's God's above, we're below, and we're supposed to do what he says. And so that's a huge thing. And I, I told this story to the, um, the first service. When I, for the, since my kids were little, when we are in a parking lot and they got their heads down, I always say, get your heads up. Now look around. And my oldest is 13, and we've been doing this for, what, seven years? And so I've been telling them, seven years doing this. And there's always one that will, that will have their head down, and they're just kind of... And the reason why I say that is because they're all small, right? And so when you're small, someone backing up does not see you. So you need to have your head up so you can see where everyone is. But see, a lot of times in our, in our walks with God, we have our head down thinking, I need to look at this right here, and I need to focus on this, and I need to, which sometimes we do need to focus on situations. But we are so engrossed in this one thing that we are trying to make our own path. And I don't know if you've ever tried to make your path making one foot at, the t at a time. It's really hard to do, especially in the dark. Like, um, when you have one, I don't know if you've ever done this, and you have a little headlamp, and you're trying to walk, but it's too dark, you can't look up, so you're just like making sure you're not tripping and falling. Uh, one time I was camping with my family, and I, w I had a flashlight, I was going to the bathroom. And I got lost. And because I was trying to watch where I was going. Well, there was no pass. And so I made it out. And I went out. And I looked back. Where do I go? You know? And I'm, it's, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. No one's awake. So if I start yelling, they're probably not going to hear me. Or they're just going to go, ah, bear, one less kid. You know? Because when you have your head down and you're trying to make your own path, it's easy to get lost. And so what do we need? We need to trust in the Lord. That means get your head up and He will make the path. Right? And so there's a big difference there. And so what did the servant do? Kept his head up, he went, and God made the path. And so that's a huge thing that we need to do. And so in order to do this, so in order to be an arrow, right, a sharpened arrow, uh, this is what we need to do, right? We need, to, we need to do this. The arrow's job, right, it's an inanimate object. The arrow's job is just to accomplish the task of the archer, right? The arrow doesn't get to decide if it's, um, if it's sharp or not, but we do. We can go to God. God, sharpen me. Okay? And then what does he do? He uses us when it's time. So you might be going through a time of sharpening, and sometimes that doesn't feel good. And it's, sometimes you got to go through a hard thing, and it's like, man, I really would like to just be put in the quiver, God. I don't need any more sharpening. Please. Or you might be in the quiver, waiting. What, yeah, when do I get to share the gospel? When do I get show your glory to someone. And that's good. But in the archer's time. The 
archer pulls the arrow out. The archer knocks the arrow. The archer pulls back the string. The archer releases. The archer hits the target. What's the arrow doing? He's there following the archer's will. And so we need to be looking for the will of God to be the most important thing in our lives. Not what we can get out of it. Not what we want. Not even, can I make my own path? No, it's whatever the archer wants. That's what I want to do. And so, my challenge for you this week, I was going to have one or two challenges. Okay? I ended on the one that I'm going to do for you. But the first challenge, I really wanted to get my bow and arrow and have one of you, and just ask, okay, one at a time, I want you to come up here, we're going to put an air, uh, apple on your head, I'm going to shoot it off. This is a, a time of faith. But then, yeah, I thought, man, even on my best day, I probably couldn't do that, you know. Um, so I went with option two, which is this. So in your bulletin, there is a piece of paper, and it has a, uh, an arrow and a target on it, and on it says, His Purposes. Okay? I want to challenge you, and you can color it, you can make it nice, do whatever you want, but I want to challenge you to put it on your door as you leave your, uh, at your home, the door that you use the most to exit your home. Put it right there, and as you're going out, have a prayer. Have some time with Jesus, and just say, Lord, your purpose today. I want your purposes accomplished. And so I want to give you a, a story that happened on Christmas night. Um, so Christmas, we had um, two services, right? Um, then we had potluck, which was fantastic, except you guys don't make enough deviled eggs, and so there wasn't any for the people at the back. Um, so next time. Um, but anyways, uh, there's plenty of ham, which, fantastic. Um, and there were some that were like that big that you guys didn't get because you put that to the side. But, um... So we're going, we're leaving, and we're trying to get to Indio, right? Me and my family are trying to get to Indio. Um, it's getting later and later, and I want to get a really good seat, right? I, I want to beat my in-laws there. I want to be the first one there. And and we're going down Kofa, okay? And you know where Kofa goes from 45 to 35? Oh, you mean, you know, I'm sorry, 35 to 25? Yeah, right there. Um, and you slow down. And it was weird. So we're, we're driving, and the car in front of us swerves. And all I see is this, this gentleman. He's on his bike, and he's pulling behind uh, one of those kitty things and with his luggage in it. And he just topples over his bike. And, yeah, and so we pull off to the side, get out. He's bloody, so I go get the, um, the first aid kit that we have. Given that, he's able to clean up. Um, we can't do any more. He, he needs a ride or something, and we're packed down because of presents and everything. Kids, um, and so I told him, you know, can't do any more. But can I call someone? He said, No, don't worry. We left. I called someone. Um, and but I had two thoughts in my mind. Okay, at this point, as we're driving away, the first thought um, was, I I want to I I want to beat them there. Like that was still in my mind. I want to beat them there. I want to get there. Um, and then the other thought was, I hope my kids saw that we stopped and helped someone. Because I want them to understand 
hopefully someday, that when God places something in your path, that becomes more important than whatever you were intending for that day. And so, I hope that gentleman got help. I don't know. But the purposes of God will just blindside us sometimes. And if we're not paying attention, it's going to be an inconvenience. Yet if we're paying attention, it'll be a blessing. And so I want to encourage you this week to seek the purpose of God. To say, God, whatever. If you put it in my path today, then that's what I'm going to do. If it's going to happen, then that's going to happen. And I want to walk faithfully in what you have. I want to be the sharp arrow ready at any moment. So God, if you call on me to do that, then I will do it. Because I'm not my own. I am the archer's arrow. Alright? So I want to encourage you with that today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you do for us. More so than we would ever even know. The things that you do behind the scenes that we have no clue about. Lord, I just thank you for that. Father, for us, your people, that we may be sharpened arrows, so we'd be willing and ready to go. Lord, this servant, just, what a, I don't know anything about him except what he did. Lord, I thank you for him. I thank you that he loved Abraham. I thank you that he wanted to do Abraham's will. I thank you that he praised you for what happened. Lord, let us be like that. Let us love you more than anything. Let us do your will above all things. And let us give you the glory that you deserve for doing it. And so, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters this week that as they're going, that they would be sharpened arrows and they'd be ready. And that when you would call upon them, that they'd be ready to be knocked. That they'd be ready to be put on that bowstring. And so, Lord, just thank you. I praise you in your mighty name. Amen.